So if you have a Bible close by, we're going to be in John chapter 11 this morning. We're going to continue our uh, our series in Lent, going through the the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John, as we head toward uh, next Sunday being Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday. Uh, we're getting uh, closer and closer to uh, to the, the really the biggest week of the year for us as believers and the most significant in the life of our Savior. And so. As we head in that direction, let's look at John chapter 11. Uh, the context here is that Jesus' uh, friend, Lazarus, has died. Um, and Jesus is traveling to uh, the village of Bethany to be with Lazarus's, Lazarus's uh, si- uh, sisters, Mary and Martha, who you may know from other parts of the New Testament as well. So let's look at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. So both sisters, we see it in verse 21, uh, where Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then if you were to skip down to verse 32, when Mary comes out, uh, it says this, says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verbatim, same thing. So they had probably had this discussion, you know. Um, they were, in, in, part of this expresses great faith of saying, you, you could have stopped this. Like you were, you were the powerful one sent from heaven. You could have stopped this. But really, this is a very frustrated moment. Um, we have to he- have to hear that as kind of the dominant thing of saying, if if only you had been here, we wouldn't be in this situation that we're in. And uh, that's such a sobering thing because I feel like we've all had those moments. I don't know if you around the circle have ever had those moments, but those times when when you're in a like something is happening or something has happened, you're in this present moment. And you're trying to figure something out, and you you realize, like, man, God, God could have stopped this. God could have intervened. Um, if only I, if only this had happened sooner or or later. You know, there's all these different scenarios, and and sometimes it's it's little things, but it's usually about these like really big moments in life where where we kind of find ourselves angry with the Lord because we're in a situation that's that it, it just hasn't gone the way that we would want have wanted it to go. And here are these two sisters that are feeling this way. And something I think that is important to keep in mind is if you look at verse 33, 
Um, this, this frustration is not lost on Jesus. That in those times when we are looking at him or saying, if only this, if only you had done this, if only whatever it may be, um, it's not lost on him. Look how Jesus reacts in verse 33. It says, when, he, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Notice that he doesn't get upset with her. He doesn't scold her. He doesn't say, ye of little faith. He doesn't just shake his head in disappointment at her. Um, he is deeply moved. He's grieved with what's going on. That when, when God's children hurt, God hurts too. And I bet a lot of you parents can, can, can feel that way. Whenever your kids are hurting and upset, there's a part of you that's aching with them as well. And so here's Jesus. He comes up on the comes up on the scene, and everyone is grieving. And Martha comes over to him and kind of points her finger at him and says, "If you, had, if only you had been here." And it moves him deeply. Uh, it's a very important thing to to pay attention to. But at the same time, as this like, it, there's this this idea that Jesus Jesus is hurting with us. God is hurting with us. But this is also a part of our, a part of our situation where we have this limitless God um, who, is, who is guiding the universe along. And then we have humans with our very limited perspective. There are going to come those moments where we look at him and we say, what, what were you thinking? Why didn't you do this? And we have to acknowledge our, our own limitations in that. Uh, in Isaiah 55, uh, verses 8 and 9, it says this. It says, For my thoughts, this is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And God's not being rude here. He's just trying to help us understand that He is working with He is working on a completely different level than we are. That He is limitless and we are limited. And so there has to be that that tension that we hold between those things of recognizing uh, the the power of his ways being higher than ours and his thoughts being higher than ours, and at the same time his willingness to meet us in the moment in our own grief and our own sadness, our own confusion, even our own anger toward him. That both of those coexist, and there's just a tremendous kindness on the part of the Lord in, in that regard. And that should bring a, a sense of, of really healthy humility to us as well, to where um, we recognize that God would, would meet us where we are instead of scolding us for not being where he is. Um, and so we see a little bit of that here in this story. And, but what, if, you, if you kind of step back from it just a little bit, um, they're, like Mary and Martha, are, they're, they're trying to work through the present moment um, by like kind of bargaining with the past a little bit of saying, if only you had been here, then this wouldn't have happened. 
Um, and I was reading through different commentaries, and N.T. Wright, he points out this is basically the plot of Back to the Future, you know, that we see right, right here, in, in the sense of of going back in time and manipulating things that that change the trajectory of the storyline going forward. And so they're uh, they're they're kind of, of trying to trying to bargain with the past a little bit. And and, and this thing that I, I kept coming back to it is calling it these like if only moments, you know, if only this, if only God had done this. Um, and so what Jesus does, if you look, you know, so Martha comes at him and says, if only you had been here, my brother would, wouldn't have died. Look at verse 23. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. So he's pointing her to the future. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So, so Martha she knows the future, like he's going to be raised from the dead, but that is not has not impacted the present moment for her at all at this point. Like she's like, yeah, yeah, I know that, I know that. But if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Like she's so she's in the in the present, trying to kind of bargain with the past and everything, but she's ignoring the future that that God has already told her about, even though she knows it, like she's aware of it. And you know this this is not really what Jesus was talking about necessarily. He wasn't really like. Uh, which we'll get to in just a, a few minutes, but but the real like we have to pay attention to the fact that the future had no no bearing on the present for her, and that's a that's a pattern you know that's a very human human pattern for us, um, and so uh, I kind of have a question for the group here that's different than the processing questions that went out in, in the email, but just a, something for us to kind of kick around um, in in times. Uh, I'm going to assume that all of us at some point have kind of been dismissive of the future promises of God in some way. So for you, why do you tend, like, why is it easy to be dismissive of the future? Um, even though that, that God has told us all these great things that are going to happen and all that stuff. Um, when processing the present moment, why is it easy to be dismissive of the future? What would you guys say to that? I base so much of my knowledge and understanding of things on what's already happened and what I've learned from it or um, what I've seen other people go through so if I'm not careful then I can lean on my own understanding in that way because it's what I've experienced what I felt what I thought what I learned and then instead of looking at what we know about God and how trustworthy he is I can get stuck there just based on experience. Yeah, I think for me it's, you know, as, as a human, we're very sensory input, you know, touch, taste, feel, all those things. And so that as we experience things, they take on this reality. And, you know, think about like pain, you know, the present pains we experience in this, you know, the broken world, they're very real to us because we are experiencing them. And, all these things about the future, we're not able to take our eyes off of what we see, to see the unseen, to pull that unseen in. And so just the reality of the pain is very real. And so it, it, it kind of consumes it consumes my vision. Hmm. What else, any other thoughts on why the future is easy to dismiss? I mean, I kind of relate to uh, later on. It talks about how they said, "Didn't you? 
you can see how Jesus loved him. And then they referred to a miracle Jesus did opening someone's eyes in the past, so couldn't you raise him now? And I relate to that because I look at the past and the future like God took care of us in this situation, so he'll take care of us now. And not look into the future. It's like the power is in the, the present and the past because I've experienced it. It's hard to relate to what's going to happen in the future. And, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of how what I pulled out of the verse is just always go to the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really, I mean, how much of the Bible is like, well, remember, remember, you know, he's always like like pointing backwards. And so he, it, the, I think the idea is not to throw out the past, but it's, it's, to, it's to also like in remembering the past and processing the past and bringing that into the present, it's not ignoring the future that we have ahead of us. And I put together an illustration of sorts, and it's, um, it's very simple, uh, which makes a lot of sense, I think. Um, and it starts with, uh, with a timeline, and then, uh, then we get, we'll involve Mr. Potato Head in just a minute. <laughs> just a minute. And the reason why it's Mr. Potato Head is not, is not really because it's like the perfect uh, thing. I just, I don't have, I need a figure with a face on it, and I don't have a figure with a face on it. So I went to our nursery, it was like, surely there's like a Buzz Lightyear, there's something around here I could grab, there's uh, only uh, really like baby dolls, and then uh, we probably have 12, 15 <laughs> Mr. Potato Heads apparently. So um, let me use him for just a second. So let's say that, like if you look at, if you look at this as a timeline, and you're, let's say that you're in the moment, um, that you're in this present moment, and you're trying to process it. So what what Mary and Martha are doing is they're trying to process the grief of Lazarus, and they are they're facing this way. They're looking at the past. And they're saying, if if only you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Um, and Jesus is Jesus is saying, yeah, but he's gonna he's gonna like rise again. And they're like, yeah, okay, yeah, but still, like, so, and the reason why I think this visual for me is helpful is because um, the, they would, they literally have their back to the future, like, um, which is, I should have probably said that better, better than that, but, but they're, they're just like, yeah, they're ignoring it, you know? Um, and so Jesus is trying to like help them live oh, this way. Which is not turning your back on the, on the past, but here in the present moment, you can't just look back and say, "Well, what went wrong? You know, what should have happened? What could have happened?" You have to also look because he has he has told us things about the future that absolutely fit into how you're processing this present moment. And so, in the in the present, it's it, I, I would say it as like we need to be future facing, which isn't to neglect the past, but we've already, we we're, we're grabbing onto that, we're remembering all that. But we're trying to process the present moment with the future in mind because he has he has told us things about the future, but he's also pulled things from the future into the present, which we're going to talk about in just a second. And so, for us, a part of the, part of the lesson here is we look at Mary and Martha, and they're they're kind of refusing to let the future play a factor in the moment. And Jesus is trying to redirect them and to say, "Hey, the future actually has a ton to do with how you're getting through this in your grief." And this applies in our lives as well, because whatever you're going through in the moment, I mean, COVID-19, absolutely, like we should be, we should be future facing and how we're processing this. 
Yeah, yeah, we know that he's he's led his people through difficulty in the past. He's been faithful. All those things are true. We also know things about the future that help us get through the present. And so it's really about pulling the the past and the and the future together into into the present moment to help us figure that out. And so um, as we keep going through the story, just keep in mind that. Uh, that this is kind of what Jesus is, is trying to get us to do, but the orientation needs to be future-facing um, because our tendency is to be dismissive of it because it's unknown and because all the things that we're saying, because we, we haven't experienced it. We don't, it's, it's too mysterious. It's too, you know, whatever. And the real factor is we live this way because we can't control this. We love some control. And so once again, Jesus is saying, hey, how about, uh, how about you realize you're a terrible controller of the universe, and I'm awesome at it. Um, so, okay, I'm going to put this aside, and uh, we're going continue, to continue on with the, with the story a little bit. Um, so, so Jesus kind of makes that, that point, and let me just kind of sum it up this way. Um, a part of what he's telling her, and telling us is that we can't process the present by entertaining the if-onlys of the past. That is fruitless and gets us nowhere. Instead, we process the present by recognizing the future that God's brought to us right now in Christ. Um, so, look at verse 23 again. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, what she's referring to is this really commonly held like understanding that in the end of days, there would be a resurrection of all those in Christ. And so, um, so she's like, yeah, I'm familiar with the doctrine. You know? And Jesus says to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So look at it, look at the the main statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Um, the this concept was really like commonly accepted and um, was considered to be uh, something that was in the distant future for them. It's like yeah, one day down the line, way down that timeline, that'll happen. Um, but Jesus, you know, one of the one of the miracles about him is he's he's the union of of things that seem to be separate, and so Jesus is the union of heaven and earth, uh, in in a way that that no one had seen before. Jesus is the union of God and and man, like had never been seen before, and Jesus is the union of past and and present and future all into one one moment. Uh, his his infinite limitless nature. Uh, pulls everything in, in, into one moment, and so when Jesus is standing in front of them, um, he's he's so much more than meets the eye. Is just this huge understatement, you know. And so uh, he's pulling the the future into the present. And so what he's saying is that resurrection is not an event. It's not an idea. It's not a doctrinal concept that we write books about. He's saying that resurrection is a person, and that person is standing in front of them. And that the magnitude of that statement is just we'll never understand how much it weighs, you know. Uh, but hopefully we'll we'll learn. We're learning more and more. Um, and so 
the resurrection is standing in front of you. And, and so God is pulling the future, this future thing down the line, pulling this into this moment to stand right in front of you. And so, uh, in other words, you don't have to wait for the end of days to be alive, to be truly, truly alive. It's not something you have to wait for. <clears throat> for us, in this moment, on this day, it's not something that, that we have, we would say, well, yeah, well, we'll, we'll pass away and then one day Jesus will return and we'll all be raised again and all that stuff. All of that life, all of that eternal life, that is not something that's way down the line for us. Jesus has brought it into the present. And so Jesus is standing in front of, of Martha telling her this. Jesus is also here with us because Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so Christ in me is making that resurrection life real today, now, in this moment. And the same thing for, for all of you and, and for all of us. And so he's brought the future into the present. So we don't have to wait. It's so easy to feel like like heaven is like this, like, well, one day I'll go, I'll go to heaven. It's like, well, that, the, the sentiment, well, we understand the sentiment, but do we understand the reality, though, is that heaven has already come to us? That we are we're living we're living like heavenly lives now. That the the power and the goodness and all those things are present for us in this moment. And yet we have this broken world we're trying to navigate. And there are times when we kind of wonder wonder if that's true or not. But but when you think about like yeah we're facing this virus and this might get really bad and and we'll. But we'll get through it because the resurrection life lives within us. Nothing can touch that. And so Jesus is is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, he's telling her, in, in this moment, the, the future has come to you. You don't have to wait for it. It's, it's yours now. It's, it's ours now in Christ. Um, if, you, if you take his, the, the full statement in 25, uh, 24 and 25, sorry, 25 and 26, he kind of pairs it up. So he says, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. And then he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then second statement, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And if you were to kind of group those together, you, you, you can think of him. You can think of it as he says two things. He says, I'm the resurrection. And he says, I'm the life. And then when he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That that is kind of partnered with him being the resurrection and the life. So if I had like a whiteboard, and I could like circle things and diagram it and break it, break it all up. But if you if you think of of him saying I'm the resurrection, and then he makes that statement: Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You can, and many consider this as directed toward those who are grieving, um, or possibly those who are somewhere in the dying process. That he is, you know, he's addressing this group who, uh, you know, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Spoiler. Um, but he hasn't done it yet. And so he's telling them, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He's speaking toward uh, toward the, the those who are grieving or those who are possibly dying. Um, saying that because Jesus is the resurrection, belief in him brings brings that divine life of God, the Zoe life in, in the Greek that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And no matter what happens to the physical body, Zoe lives on. And so what a, like th- if you were to put yourself in the place of someone who is in the dying process, like what, what an empowering truth to carry into the unknown. And, 
I don't know if if anyone who's listening and watching this morning is in the dying process, um, but but we will all get there at some point. It's a statistical fact uh, that unless Jesus comes back first, we're at some point going in to enter into the dying process. And so, what an important thing for us to to know and to remember that if we believe in Him, even though we die, we will live. Because death will come to our physical bodies, but not to the Zoe that he has provided for us. Um, it's also a word to the grieving. And uh, the grief is, uh, no one escapes that either. And there are a lot of, a lot of grieving people in, in our congregation that are just working through death that has come really close to home. And uh, it's, like I said, it's one of those things that none of us really escapes either. And so for those who are grieving, what, a, what an anchoring truth uh, to get you through the tumultuous waters of grief um, in the midst of all that sadness to keep in mind that uh, even though someone dies, they still can live in Christ. Um, and I know that's been, uh, it's as, as a pastor who's, who has the privilege to go in and sit with people who are grieving, um, scriptures like that are so they're just such a bedrock because there's there's nothing there's nothing any of us can say in those moments but you go in and you read those verses and it's it's just to watch the spirit comfort through those those truths is just amazing and so when jesus says i'm the resurrection um he's speaking to the grieving and to the dying uh, and and jesus knew that he knew that tension that comes because you're as you're grieving, you're so sad, and yet there's also the hope of the resurrection. Both of those things are together, um, which is why if you if you look down in verse 33, um, it says, "When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, uh, "Where have you laid him?" They said to him, "Lord, come and see." And look what happens when he saw the grave. It says that he wept. So here's Jesus who's saying, I am the resurrection. He's pointing her to the future. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever dies, he's going to live. And then Jesus goes in and he starts crying. Yeah. That Jesus is not saying to dismiss death or pain or suffering or any of those kinds of things that Jesus himself is overwhelmed with it. So, um, let me ask you guys this: Why, for you as a disciple, why is it important to you that Jesus, that we have this verse, shortest verse in the Bible? Why do we have this verse? Like, why is that meaningful to you and important to you? Yeah, I think my verse says Jesus burst into tears, and to mm-hmm. think, you know, that it was this overwhelming emotional response, and and for me that's so important because I need Jesus to understand my tears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Jesus, one of the things that I love most is that how he leads by example all the time. And so this is one way that we can see how he interacted and processed this as well and have deep compassion for his people. And so it's good for us to follow that example as well. Yeah, when I was reading uh, reading this this morning, I kind of started uh, thinking about um, like him just being human in the, in that moment of 
realizing his own death and being in the grave and like being raised up and like that grieving of his own like what's to come um, and how human that made him you know like for me uh, for me thousands of years you know from now in that moment and so I don't know it's just kind of an overwhelming moment for me personally just to be reminded of all the things you just said just how how he does lead by example he goes before us even in his weeping even in his grieving and uh I don't know. It got me. <laughs> it got me this morning, and still gets me to think of it. Think of it that way. So I learned a new phrase a couple of weeks ago called spiritual bypassing, mm-hmm. and um, this makes me think of that so much. Is that oftentimes Christians can try to jump over lament or over grief mm-hmm. instead of walking through it, and that we can. Well, God's good. He's going to take care of us. And He is the resurrection, so we're going to be fine. And those things are true. They're very true. But like you said, like we have to be able to feel both at once. And so I think in a culture where it's just becoming more and more obvious that sometimes Christians do try to spiritually bypass really hard, sad brokenness, that Jesus was like, no, we're going to sit in this and be sad because this is sad. This wasn't how it was meant to be. So I think for me to, like you're saying, like he modeled that, that you don't have to fix it and say all these right things right away. You can tell the truth and also feel the pain. Because if Jesus did that, then that's exactly what we need to do with people. Yeah. yeah he's, he's not trying to... Like negate the heaviness of death by saying that he's a resurrection. He's just trying to make sure that we're informed, you know, and that we're we're facing the right way on the timeline, you know, of saying, yeah, in the present, as you're working through this difficulty, um, you're you're bringing the past with you into the present, but you're also like bringing the the future has come into this moment as well, and and so he's wanting us to be well informed. And so if Jesus, the most informed human that's ever walked the planet, can burst into tears, I mean, how great is that? Uh, can burst into tears with the gravity of the moment. And he, so the, he is the resurrection. So the, the resurrection is weeping. Like, put all that together and you, you, you tell me, that tells us a lot about our God. Yeah. It tells us a lot about him. And... Um, so once again, here's Jesus revealing his identity. He's the resurrection who's weeping in this moment. You know? um, but he also says, he says, I'm the resurrection, and he says, I'm the life. Mm-hmm. And his, his, his commentary on that, he says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Shall never die. Everyone who, believes, who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so if... This can be considered directed toward the toward those of us who are, who are living, and so um, belief in Him makes us alive in a way that cannot be stolen or killed or destroyed. And the last few weeks, we've been talking about that that word Zoe, and just really really trying to let that sink in more and more. Um, especially, you know, we're going through this pandemic, this this global reminder of our like how fragile we are and how broken our bodies are and how in need of redemption we are. And Jesus comes and says, if you believe in me, I'll make you alive in a way that nothing can ever touch in a way that, that nothing can ever get to. Um, 
And so this, uh, when we stop living in like in the if onlys of the past, and we realize that that the future is ours, but it's ours now. It's not just this down the road thing that well one day it'll all get back. No, it's 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 now. It's here now. It what it does is it changes the way you approach the present. When we, when we live as as though we'll never die, it changes everything about this present moment. But to go back to the timeline and the Mr. Potato, Potato Head, if we if we have our backs to the future, we are we're constantly um, caught up in this idea that this life is all that there is. Mm-hmm. And when when we are ignoring the future and we're just in this moment, we live in us in this sense of panic and anxiety and worry and. And that that determines so many things. It determines uh, like our time and our money, and um, like the, the the things that we value, and the, and all these kind of things. Because we kind of like are worried that this is my one shot. Instead of realizing, well, I'm I'm actually never going to die. You know, like I, my physical body on this side of earth, like it'll it'll give out at some point. But but I have this eternity ahead of me, where there are all these things that I can experience, and so like I. Like personally, like one of the things that I like am very envious of is is people who are able to travel and go to like all the national parks and like go and like just see all the all the beauty that's out there. I know you guys went to Colorado recently, and um, and so I'm not saying like don't go to Colorado, but I, but when when so when well, the way this works out for me is is when I get caught up in and like when am I going to go to all the national parks? Like how am I going to fit that into my life? And then God reminds me of like, you know, you have an eternity on a new earth that you can explore it all you want. And you'll, you'll like, you you remember that, you know, like, so go to Colorado if you can, like do those things if you can, but don't panic because you're like, well, I have to squeeze everything into this life because I'm going to have a whole eternity to explore this new earth that he's going to create. I'm going to have an entire eternity to, to do certain things. And what that does is that takes the pressure off of now and it allows us, it allows me, us to dig into this moment differently. And so whenever we are very future facing and we're aware of all the goodness that he's brought into this moment and also all the goodness that awaits us when we're free from this, from this bondage and we're free on the new earth, it changes how we, how we allot our time. That's something people are talking about a lot right now because you know, people have all this time on their hands. Like, man, I have so much time now. And it's like, well, and Taylor would probably say, actually you have the same amount of time you always had. Uh, <laughs> Which is a whole other whole other teaching, but um, when I'm future facing, I allot this present time differently, because like the eternal things are what matters in this present in this present time. When I'm future facing, I spend my money differently. Um, I've I said something last week, kind of kind of off the cuff about like when the, if the government starts giving us money and you don't need it, give it to the church and we'll make sure it gets to people who do need it, which is a serious statement. Um, but I think people are going to like laugh that off and be like, yeah, right, like we're going to just hand over this money. But when you're future facing, money plays a different role. And so the church being the most generous group of people on the planet makes sense because we know what our future looks like both the future that he's brought to us now and the future that awaits us on the new earth. And so money plays a different role with us when we're future facing. When we, when we turn our back to it, we just, we tend to hoard and fear and all that kind of stuff. Um, when we're future facing, we engage other people differently. Like we live on, on a, on a mission. It's just different when we're future facing current events impact us differently. 
And so we're future facing. We process COVID-19 differently than if we have our backs to it and we're panicked, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and even just how we navigate any unknown in life is so different when we're facing the future and we're pulling all those things into the moment like Jesus has done. And so Jesus looks at Martha and he's like, do you believe this? And that's such a, such an important question for us this morning as we, as we conclude things, you know, um, it's easy to believe this as like an objective concept. So yes, I believe that he is the resurrection and the life and that, uh, that I am, I am alive and I will, I will never die. Uh, like the Zoe will never die. It's easy to say that we believe that, but, but then to like structure and organize our lives very differently by ignoring, by ignoring the, the truth of the future in that way. Um, and so I think it's a very challenging thing because this quarantine is revealing some stuff about us. Like we're a few weeks in and you're starting to realize some things about yourself and some of them are good. And some of them are like, man, I didn't realize I was so weird about this. You know, I didn't realize this about me. And, um, in some ways you're feeling more free than you ever have been. And in other ways you might feel more oppressed. And, and so we're having to like pay attention to some things, but, but I think it's an important question to say, do you believe this? And, in other words, do you live as as though you're never going to die? And uh, and I don't mean like be irresponsible and all that kind of stuff, but like, but do you live as though you will live forever? Because he is he is your resurrection, and he is your life, and that's something that as as we work through this COVID thing, um, it's going to allow us to to re- restructure our lives very differently on the whenever we get back to normal, you know. And, and so as we, as we begin to add things back in, we need, to be, we need to have this kind of perspective on it. We need to have a very future-facing perspective so that as we build things back in, we're building back in those things that have to do with eternity and those things that matter, that truly matter in this life as those who will 100% live forever because of what Jesus has done for us. And so um, as, as we just kind of close and... I just think what an appropriate text for us to be talking about a, re- a resurrection story. And I would encourage you to keep reading in chapter 11. It's, it's, even, if, even if you think you know it, spend some time this week reading it more slowly. Um, it's just such a beautiful, a beautiful story that unfolds right before our eyes. And I think, John, what you brought up, I think it's so, so important to remember is that here's Jesus kind of watching his... It's like he's looking down the timeline a little bit. And he's like... This is going to happen to me. Like they're going to, I'm going to die. They're going to wrap me in cloths too. They're going to put me behind a stone, and uh, and I'm going to trust the Father to raise me from the dead. You know, and so um, a lot of, a lot of stuff to pull together here. And so uh, I hope that this has all made sense. But the I think Jesus' main idea is, is hey, don't don't forget about this future that's yours. Um, in two senses. One, the future that awaits you on the new earth when you're free from the bondage of this life, but also the future that he has pulled into your present right now, that you don't have to wait to, to live that heavenly Zoe life that lives on inside of you. And that changes everything about the present and all, all the decisions that we make and how we approach all of life together when we have that mindset fully in place. Um, so, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing another song, and then we'll conclude our time together. So uh, join me in prayer. Jesus, uh, it's just uh, such a beautiful, a beautiful story. Really, just it's just part of of a, a narrative here that has so much depth to it. 
I'm so thankful that you that you bring but the the infinite nature of God into the midst of our grief and our pain, our confusion. And that we can watch you not not scold Martha. You just you just trying to help her face the right direction on the timeline and uh, just with such gentleness and compassion and then for you to be overwhelmed as well it tells us so much about you and um, just uh, I mean it's so humbling to sit here on a Sunday morning in the midst of all this stuff going on in the world and to yet feel so peaceful because of who you are and Nothing has changed outside outside of this room. There's no circumstances that have changed. But God, just the peace that you bring to your children, just that assurance that you are the resurrection and the life. And that those who believe in you will live forever. Just what a comforting word that is for us this morning. And so help us to live with the future in, in our grasp. And uh, may that impact the present in a way that... Uh, in a way that's fresh and new and may you just guide us through that through this this time with that kind of wisdom and that kind of leadership that's what we need from you um we need you our good shepherd out at the front showing us what to do and we're thankful that that's our reality so god we love you and i thank you and pray this in your name